Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid. Today on Wellbeing, we're going to be discussing a novel approach, transcranial magnetic stimulation, to an increasingly common problem, depression. And to discuss this new technology with me, I have Professor Colleen Liu of the School of Psychiatry, the University of New South Wales. Welcome, Colleen. Hello, Virginia. So, Colleen, how did you first become interested in magnetic stimulation of the brain? Yes, Virginia, I first heard about it back in uh, 1996, that there was a very eminent uh, U.S. researcher who had come out to talk about ECT. And at the end of his talk, he said, look, we have this new thing that we're looking at called TMS, which is using magnetic fields to stimulate the brain. And from a technology point of view, there were certain advantages to magnetic stimulation. So that's when I first heard about it and thought, oh, we could do that research here as well and, and look at this. Right. And what attracted you to it was the um, possibility yeah, so, I mean, in those early days, Virginia, we were thinking of, of TMS, in a sense, in the context of ECT. And so clearly the differences mm-hmm. are there's no general anesthetic, there's no seizure, people are awake all the time. Uh, you can be an outpatient because uh, you can just come every day for a you know, 20-minute treatment session and go home again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess this is now 10 years down the track. We're saying, well, there's no reason why TMS has to be looked at as an alternative for ECT. It can be looked at as a, you know, a treatment in its own right. Um, so what sort of patients normally, what sort of depressed people normally receive ECT? Do you have to be, I mean, I would have thought the general impression was that you have to be pretty severely depressed in order to get ECT. Yeah, so the people who receive ECT are usually those who uh, haven't got well with other forms of treatment, which is mm-hmm. usually a combination of counselling and antidepressant medications. So they're the people who have a more severe depression and who are, you know, not improving with the, the, the first line, you might say, clinical treatments. And I think that's because, Virginia, with ECT, as I said, you know, you usually need to be admitted to a hospital and have a general anesthetic and have a seizure. Uh, so it's not something that one does lightly without trying mm. other things first. Um, I guess with TMS, because there, there isn't the, the anesthetic, the seizure, the need to be an inpatient, it's something that can be tried uh, both earlier on in the whole uh, treatment schedule. So we have some people coming to us who say, look, I'm depressed, you know, we assess them, and yes, they are clinically significantly depressed. But they say, look, I'd rather not try an antidepressant, I'd rather try this TMS. Mm. Uh, and I think it's quite reasonable for them to try TMS first, why not? Mm. Um, and, and I think TMS in that sense is a bit broader than ECT. We can use it in depression that's you know, more of the moderate range, as well as depression that hasn't failed treatment with counselling and with uh, antidepressants. Mm. And what evidence is there so far that it's effective? Yeah, so we, we've, uh, we were one of the first people in Australia and worldwide to study TMS. And there have now been, over the last 10 years, quite a number of studies in several hundred subjects. Uh, and essentially, Virginia, these show that TMS is definitely doing something for depressed people. So when they compare it in studies with, say, a placebo or a you know, sham version, TMS is clearly coming out as superior. Um, my hunch is that in the, at the present state of the way we give TMS, it's not probably quite as effective as ECT, particularly if you're severely depressed. But on the other hand, it has uh, very few side effects. So I think we can say it's working, it seems to work, Maybe, uh, maybe as well as antidepressants, uh, that hasn't been clearly tested, but that's my clinical impression, but maybe not as powerful as ECT. Okay, and why would people have used 
magnetic stimulation in the first place? Why would they have, or even ECT? Is there, um, I know that we can do EEGs, like measurements of brainwave uh, function, and that they are uh, electrical. Um, is there some uh, knowledge that that pattern is aberrant in people with depression? Yeah, so the first thing is that when you look at the studies of brain functioning in people who are depressed, of course, depression is different in everyone and you, you find differences, but probably the most consistent thing to come out is that people seem to have an underactivity, particularly in the left front part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the reason we use ECT is more that uh, it was found over the years that it works. So it was almost by accident. Uh, people started inducing seizures. This is, you know, years ago in mm-hmm. the mid-20th century uh, in people who were depressed and say, hey, this actually works quite well. Uh, and so that's why we use ECT because all the evidence points to the fact that it works. Mm-hmm. With TMS, uh, which started about 10, 15 years ago, it was much more... Uh, you know, theory-driven. So people said, look, if the left front part of the brain is underactive, let's try and target that part and stimulate that part with magnetic fields. Mm. And the advantage of a magnetic field compared to, you know, electrical stimulation is that the magnetic fields pass through the, the bones of your skull without any problem, which means that they're not scattered so that you can actually focus your stimulation on any part of the brain you want any part of the surface of the brain that you want. So with TMS, we're able to selectively stimulate the left front part of the brain, whereas with ECT, we end up stimulating, uh, you know, more or less the whole brain, which is why we cause a seizure. Mm, Okay. Use of them started 10, 15 years ago, and there has been some evidence that that, that the use of magnetic stimulation is effective, but there's not sufficient use at the moment to use it as an alternative. You mean as an alternative to ECT? As an alternative to drug therapy, psychotherapy? Yes, I think we're at the moment at the cusp of TMS emerging from the research field into the clinical field. Um, And I guess the evidence has been accumulating now for about uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, the largest trial of TMS in the world has just been completed. We were one of the you know, 25 or so international sites to take part in that, and that will be published next year. So I think once that is out, that will be much clearer evidence for uh, the effectiveness of TMS, and certainly in the U.S., that will lead to an examination of whether TMS should now be considered a mainstream clinical treatment. So we're kind of at that cusp of considering, you know, should TMS, be recommended as a mainstream clinical treatment. And in Australia, we're at that same kind of point as in the U.S. So mm-hmm. I, I guess up to now, we haven't said, uh, look, TMS is a mainstream clinical treatment and should be offered in you know, hospitals alongside antidepressants and ECT. Uh, we've said, look, we're, we're still studying this and the evidence is accumulating. It's looking very good. But I suspect, Virginia, in the next one or two years, that will be much clearer on exactly what is the place of TMS. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reed, and I'm discussing TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, for the treatment of depression with Professor Colleen Liu from the University of New South Wales. So, Professor Liu, it sounds to me like we're fairly close to being able to use this as a clinical tool. What are some of the advantages, if you like, of using TMS as opposed to what we currently have? Okay, so... I guess the advantages are compared to medications 
that you, you don't have all these side effects of medication. So one group of people who come to me for TMS often say, look, I'm having trouble with side effects. I've tried three or four different antidepressant medications and I'm feeling awful with the side effects of each one, so I want to try something new. That's one advantage. A mm. uh, second advantage is that there is some evidence that TMS can work where antidepressants haven't worked. So the second group I have coming to me are ones who say, look, I've tried you know, one or two antidepressants, they're not working, I want to try a totally different kind of mode of treatment. Um, I guess the third group, Virginia, are those who have been recommended to have ECT by their psychiatrist, usually because they have a fairly severe depression, and again, they haven't got better with antidepressants. And, you know, they want to try, I guess, something in between, something that doesn't require an anesthetic, doesn't involve a seizure, uh, before going on to ECT. So that if TMS doesn't work, you know, they would go on to ECT. But often in, in, in those people, TMS may work quite well and they're quite happy to have then TMS rather than having ECT. So the main thing is the lack of side effects. What are some of the, for example, how, how many treatments does someone need? Okay, so TMS in its current form uh, still does involve a fair bit of time commitment that we're looking at people coming every weekday mm-hmm. for roughly about 20 to 30 minutes for a stimulation session over four to six weeks. So that's um, once a week or once every day? Once every weekday over four to six weeks. Okie doke, right. So it's, it's still you know, more involved than, say, taking an antidepressant, which you can do at home, uh, yep. just taking a tablet every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that reason... You know, we, we, we don't offer TMS to just anyone who's feeling a bit down, but you, you need to have a clinically significant depression to make it worthwhile to enter mm-hmm. into that kind of treatment course. Mm-hmm. And what would be the symptoms of a reasonably clinical, uh, a reasonably severe or moderately moderate depression, I guess you'd have to say? Yeah, so I'm mainly distinguishing that from, you know, just feeling a bit down, which we all do at times. Yes. And I think that one of the main differences, Virginia said, when you feel a bit down, uh, you can bounce back fairly quickly. So either mm-hmm. over time or with a change of circumstances, you then bounce back. Mm-hmm. I think the main difference with the clinical depression is that people seem to get stuck so mm-hmm. that they're carried around with them from one context to another and they just can't seem to you know, bounce back after a few days. Uh, it, it then often starts translating into uh, other parts such as you're you know, not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you lose your motivation, you feel very lethargic, lacking in energy, you can't concentrate. So it, it then tends to develop into these, this kind of range of symptoms and mm. different people will have different combinations of these symptoms. Uh, and, and so basically it's kind of getting translated into a more medical illness rather than just you know, feeling a bit down for a few days. Right. And the commitment would be four or five weeks, once a week, once a weekday of about 20 minutes. Yes, when we first started TMS, you know, no one knew how long to give it. So mm-hmm. we were giving TMS for just one or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And what we now know, uh, Virginia, is that that's not long enough to mm-hmm. really produce a good effect. Okay. Now, it may be that in five years' time, you might have developed, you know, TMS technique further so that maybe you only need to come once every, you know, every second day or only for three weeks or, or, or whatever. But with mm-hmm. the current forms of TMS we're giving, uh, you seem to need to come every weekday for four to six weeks to get a good effect. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and we're discussing TMS with Professor Colleen Liu. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and we're discussing TMS with Professor Colleen Liu. How long does the effect last? Okay, so if 
the TMS is effective in getting you out of this episode of depression, then you should be completely well at the end. Uh, so when you say how long it lasts, I guess the next question is, you know, will I become depressed again? Mm. And I, I often say to people that really depends more on, you know, the reasons you become depressed in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the things that predict, in a sense, whether you'll become depressed again in the future. But I think that the main issue in terms of how long the effect lasts is whether whatever treatment you're having at the moment, whether that's counseling, antidepressants, TMS, or ECT, is whether it kind of fully gets you out of this episode. It's a bit like climbing out of a hole, that if you're halfway out, you've got a big chance of falling back in. But if you're fully out, then you're not going to fall back in. Mm. And does the uh, four- to five-week treatment, generally speaking, get people right out of the hole? Look, it, it does for a large number of people, and I think it... it, it depends a lot on their own depression and how difficult it is to treat. So if we get someone who uh, is quite early in the course of their illness, hasn't failed a lot of other treatments, then usually they'll do quite well with four to six weeks of TMS. Mm-hmm. If we get someone who, you know, before they've come to me, they've been depressed for five years, they've failed, you know, 10 mm-hmm. antidepressant treatments, then, you know, that person has a lesser chance of, of getting well with TMS. Mm-hmm. But they might still get substantially better. Right. And are there any any of the trials that look at the effect five years down the track, for example? Yes. I mean, it's uh, there have been, I guess, a, a few studies which have reported on how people have gone down the years. And, uh, you know, like with any kind of antidepressant treatment, there, there is a rate of people having a further episode of depression, say, six months, 12 mm. months uh, down the track. And what we've looked at is if we then give them a second course of TMS, Will that help them again? Mm. And the answer seems to be yes. Mm. Mm. And is their remission longer the next time, or we don't know that at this point in time? Again, that seems to depend on more the underlying reasons of why you become depressed in the first place, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of your risk of becoming depressed again in the future. I, I often say to people, as a rough rule of thumb, if you've been depressed, you know, twice in the last five years before you've seen me, the chances are if, after you get well with this you know, you, you might have a risk of becoming depressed another twice in the next five years. If, on the other hand, you've never been depressed before in the last 15 years, uh, there's a good chance you won't be depressed again for the next 15 years. So there's a lot of individual factors about your genetic makeup, your life circumstances, the way, you know, the way you think about things, which I guess predispose you or not to getting depressed in the first place. Right. And do you find that that lesion in the left frontal part of the brain is alleviated by the treatment? Has anybody studied that phenomena and its alleviation by the treatment? Yeah, so, so a few studies have looked at that and they've looked at a number of things. One is while you're giving someone TMS, are you making a difference in brain activity levels? And we've looked mm-hmm. at that as well as other people and the answer is yes, that you can actually scan people's brains you know, while they're having TMS and see that TMS is activating not just the left front part, but a whole network of areas mm. across the brain that seem to be important in regulating emotion. Uh, the second thing is, after a course of TMS, uh, are there changes? And that's a bit less clear. I, I think, again, because depression is so different from one person to the next, but certainly in some subjects, there do seem to be those changes, that when they're depressed, you have the, the reduction in activity, and then when they're better, that has moved back towards normal. Um, is it a reduction in activity, or is it actually um, the network alters as well? I, I, I think it's, it's really a whole network mm. issue. Mm. Uh, and so that's the way of thinking, etc. Yes, and that's... In other words, thoughts have a magnetic... 
may have a magnetic uh, basis such that they can alter matter, brain. Yes, it, well, it, it, it's almost like as depression sets in, uh, the activity levels across a certain network in the brain that controls emotion seems to get stuck at the wrong level. Mm. And when you say that thoughts contribute, that's, that's true. So if you ask people to think things and then look at what's happening in their brain, mm. thoughts have a powerful uh, effect on activity levels throughout the brain. Mm. And what seems to happen is if you become, say, you know, chronically stressed and run down, then that kind of ability for your brain to change you know, with this and that thought uh, seems to go and you seem to kind of get stuck mm. in, in, a, in a pattern that's uh, not normal. Mm, and, yeah. and that's what we're you know, trying to fix with the TMS. And does that occur more frequently as you get older? Is it less easy to unstick as you get older? Uh, I mean, again, uh, it's not that you know, older people have a higher rate of depression, but it seems to be harder to treat, that once they get stuck, it seems to be harder to shift them. Right, right. And so, for example, Virginia, older people do very well with ECT, mm. uh, which is a very kind of powerful way of stimulating the brain. Mm. And they seem to do you know, better with ECT than, say, with antidepressants because it kind of seems to have more you know, power to shift those mm. patterns. Mm. And as yet, we don't know whether that's the same for TMS or not. It doesn't seem to be coming out that way that older people also do you know, better with TMS than, say, younger people. Okay, so the study that you're doing at the moment involves adolescents, doesn't it? Yes. So what age group are you looking at there? So we thought we'd be cautious and look, first of all, at the 15 to 18-year-old age group. Mm. So we're looking for people at the end of their adolescence. And again, we're looking either for people who are uh, depressed and wish to try something other than antidepressants or adolescents who are depressed and haven't responded to the usual treatments, counselling and antidepressants. Okay. And at the moment you're recruiting for those adolescents, aren't you? Yes. Uh, do you mind me giving your telephone number for that? Not at all. So the telephone number, if you would like to join that study or know anybody that you would like to join that study, is zero two nine three eight two three seven two zero. And if you miss that number, don't hesitate to call to NURFM and we can supply it. So are you also looking at TMS in other groups or have you finished doing that? Yeah, so we, we have uh, had a whole series of studies and we will, we will be doing more work, Virginia, looking at TMS in more the general adult age group. Um, at the moment, we're just having a bit of a break while we're looking at an even newer form of brain stimulation for treating depression in the general adult age group. Mm -hmm. And is that for moderate to severe depression again? Yes, so that's again for a moderate to severe depression and it's, it's an even milder form of brain stimulation than TMS, okay. uh, but one that we think has potential. And it, is, it involves magnetic stimulation again? So this is quite different, uh, Virginia. It's looking at very, very low levels of electrical stimulation, so low that you can barely feel it. Mm. But what we think it's doing is resetting the activity levels mm. of the nerve cells. Mm. So is it low frequency? Uh, it's just a very low intensity of, of current. Mm. Mm. And we think it's working yeah. by an entirely different mechanism, mm. but trying to achieve the same kind of endpoint. Mm. Mm. It's fascinating. I mean, I don't know why we hadn't thought of this before in a way. <laughs> We've known about the electrical activity of the brain for quite some time. I guess we just haven't been able to... Well, I suppose the technology to administer these weak fields 
hasn't been available either or to measure them hasn't been available until recently either. Well, well actually, Virginia, with this, uh, this weak electrical stimulation, that's actually been around now for... Uh, you know, about 30, 40 years. So there's mm. quite a few papers from the 60s and 70s which oh. looked at this and reported mm. very good results. Mm. And I, I think, and then it suddenly disappeared okay. from the public literature. Okay. Interesting. My, my hunch is because that's when antidepressants are yes, exactly. uh, coming out. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously it's easier to take a tablet than... Yeah, uh, we've actually known about ELF for a lot longer than that. And in 1910 in America, there was actually a big witch hunt against people using electromagnetic therapy. Yes. And chiropractors. It was a very interesting time in history. Yeah, 1910. Anyway, it's been a fascinating discussion and I'm really hopeful. I think that it's a wonderful thing that you're doing so much research on this and giving it scientific validation, which can't be ignored. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to be very happy with something with far fewer side effects. So I thank you very much for your time and your effort. It's sincerely appreciated from me and the people that I know that uh, I see with depression. It's wonderful to think that these new treatments are um, gaining validation. Yes, thank you, Virginia. Thanks very much for listening to Wellbeing. I hope that the information gleaned is of help to you and yours. I'd like to thank the production team here at Wellbeing and to wish you well.